0: You will take your Bibles and open to John chapter 21. This week we'll conclude our study in the Gospel of John. John 21:15, "The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever." He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, He said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. And who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things Jesus did for every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Let's pray and ask for help. Lord, thank you for this text, but this gospel. Just what a blessing it's been. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would shape our church, that we would not be the same. Lord, may your Spirit be at work even this morning in the proclamation of your gospel to our hearts, shaping and molding us. May these questions come to us. Do we love you? Help us, Lord, answer that question. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Before we get started, I want to say that our denomination lost some incredible leaders this week. Um, Harry Breeder, pastor, long-time pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Evangel Presbytery, the Presbytery Where I came from, moving here, he was tragically killed uh, in a car wreck. Uh, Pray for his wife, uh, his kids, his grandkids. Uh, It's a loss to the denomination and Tim Keller also uh, succumbed to pancreatic cancer. Um, Coming home on hospice and I've read some incredible things that he said to his family near the end, just longing to see Jesus. And just what a a faithful witness he has been and the denomination will feel both of those so I encourage you to just lift up those families um, in the coming days. So last week we talked about rocket launches and that's kind of a a weird place to, to go when thinking about Jesus serving breakfast to his disciples on a beach. You have this raw explosive power fueling the lifting of this massive rocket into space and we said that's what's going on when Jesus is having breakfast with his disciples on the beach God incarnate meeting his people coming to them in their need providing for them this is showing the way for the church this is exactly what our Lord continues to do to this very day. He's showing us how the kingdom of God goes from the resurrected Christ to the planting of the church into the world. How is all of that going to happen? It's not always going to be pretty. We saw that part of what happens is that we have to realize our own lack, our own failure. In light of that, we have an opportunity to see what the disciples needed most was not actually fish. It was Jesus. And we learned that lesson that what we need most when we know that we are failures is we need Christ. We need to be near Jesus who provides for his people, who loves his people, who leads his people, who provides for his people. Today we'll see more that is needed for the church to flourish and grow. In some ways I've puzzled over this text. It's kind of a... it's a hard one. No doubt this text is about restoration, the restoration of Peter. We know that, but in some other ways it stings. Just reading the text it's awkward. He, he keeps asking him again and again and again, and it's so familiar that I think sometimes we don't let the, that awkwardness hit us. It's hard. Why is he doing this? Why is Jesus asking time and time again and then being reminded or being told that he's going to die this terrible death? It's hard to get your mind wrapped around those things. That there is also healing here and beauty and restoration. Today, John is tying up loose ends. And that may sound trivial to us, but for the purposes of John, it's not trivial at all. These are the questions that would plague any reader that would have lived during this time and many that came after like you and I. So loose end one, Peter's betrayal and restoration. We're going to spend most of our time on that. Loose end two, what what happens next? And loose end three, not enough space. The first loose end, Peter's betrayal and restoration. We've moved at a fairly slow pace through John's gospel. So we might be forgetting the depth of Peter's betrayal. If you were to read straight through, it would come as a bit more of a shock. Jesus was under arrest and being taken to trial, and three times Peter was asked some form of this question, aren't you one of this man's disciples also? Nope, I'm not. I don't know him. It only gets worse when you remember back to John 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet in that passage. Jesus tell, tells them that he's going away and they can't follow. Peter senses that this is some huge moment and makes a proclamation. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I, can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Peter makes a public profession of I will die for you, Jesus. In the other Gospels, we read that Peter and Peter alone of the disciples made similar claims to never abandon Jesus. Publicly, Peter said that he was willing to go to prison or even death. It gets worse. Peter wasn't just one of the twelve. He was one of the three. He was of the inner circle of Jesus. Peter, James, and John. He was as close to Jesus as anyone in his earthly ministry. And yet he denies Jesus three times. Mark 14 also gives us this detail, but he began to invoke a curse on himself when he was asked this question again and again and again. He began to invoke a curse and answer, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Not only do I not know him, I don't even know who you're talking about. The question we come to for Peter is this, how can he ever move on? What will he do after the Lord is raised? The question might as well come to each of us, how can I ever live with myself after what I did? I just did this heinous thing, how can I ever move forward as a follower of Christ? Jeremiah 17 goes deep. Even if you don't have this thing that sticks out to you in your mind that you did and you wonder how you're going to get over it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Whether we acknowledge to ourselves or not, we all have those things. So we have this three-time denial of Peter. It's just awful. And the question coming to the early church can someone ever be forgiven from this and then we have the three time questioning Simon son of John do you love me more than these which you said you did he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you he said to him feed my lambs he said to him a second time Simon son of John do you love me yes Lord you know that I love you Tend my sheep. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus again and again and again, just like his three-time denial, Jesus is coming at Peter three times, questioning his love. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep three times. This echo Does that not feel awkward to you? It tell, the text tells us that Peter was grieved. So I think if we just skip right over the awkwardness, we're missing something. And as I was trying to wrap my mind around this, I'm going to have to apologize to Lyda because I'm going to talk about this. I rarely use my family in illustrations, but there's a perfect one. Not long ago, she was riding her longboard on a walk with Kim on Thornhill, and I don't know if you've driven, driven up that section of Thornhill, but it's not the smoothest street in Shreveport. It's got tons of potholes. So she's riding the longboard down the street. I don't know which went into the pothole first, the front of the skateboard or her leg, but she, she broke her leg. Both bones of her lower leg just above the ankle terrible. We had to go to immediately to the hospital. Not only did she break her leg, she displaced it. I'll just say it like this. It was not facing the right direction. There was no way that I was going to put her in my car and move her. It looked terrible. And so they package her up. We go to the hospital. In the hospital, the ER doctors are attending. And Praise the Lord, there's an orthopedic on call. So he comes in and they have to give her medicine time and time again to to kind of knock her out. And I couldn't believe what happened next. Because they, they did this thing, they make it sound so neat and clean, it's called reducing the fracture. That means putting the bone right again as best they possibly can. he he then applied an incredible incredible amount of force. He torqued her foot down and over and up in ways that it looked horrifying. And he did it again and again and again. It took him a long time to, to torque it, to get it right. He's carefully feeling the bone and making minute adjustments, but it took an incredible amount of force for him to do it. A couple of days later, I called an orthopedic friend of ours, many of you know him, and I was like, what in the world was going on there? And the answer really helped me with this text. He said, how much force did it take to break the bone? I said, it had to take an incredible amount of force. He said, what that doctor was doing was applying that amount of force to healing, and it clicked makes sense no wonder it took so much force to put it back into place it took a ton of force to fracture it I think that's exactly what's going on in our text the level this giant level of Peter's denial took this three-time affirmation of his love for the Lord to to bring healing to him That awkward feeling, this three times and this this woundedness of Peter even was healing for his soul. Jesus doesn't just skip right over the fact that Peter had denied him three times. He doesn't just skip right over our sin. The reality of this conversation must be kept In our minds, Peter's already seen the risen Lord. He has already heard Jesus in that room announce peace. Shalom. He has already seen the scars of Jesus. This is the price of forgiveness. Forgiveness of the Lord is not cheap. He does all of this by a charcoal fire. Peter remember. You betrayed me by that fire, and here by this fire I am restoring and renewing you. Let's notice some of the ways that the grace of God comes to Peter in his guilt and shame. Peter, did you love me more than the rest? Peter, is that true? We read that it really got to Peter in 17. He was grieved. We may look at that and see that it's bad, it's causing pain. No, it it must happen to reduce the fracture. Setting things right for Peter, the whole course of his life. 2 Corinthians 7 says this for godly grief, listen to this for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. That's what godly grief does. It leads to repentance without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Look, you can grieve your failures. You can grieve your mistakes. You can grieve your sin in ways that lead to death. Godly grief. The grief that I think we see from Peter here is repentance. It leads to life. Jesus is a skilled bone setter and he's coming to produce life and salvation without regret. After this, Peter will never look back. In fact, Peter is going to die. We'll we'll talk more about that time and time again. I've seen the, the truth of this in my own life and in others. There's a difference between just getting caught in sin and feeling bad about that and having your sin exposed and repenting. There's a huge difference. When you get caught doing something you shouldn't, exposed, what do you do with that? Jesus is drilling all the way down into the heart of Peter and saying, look, a little guilt, a little shame, a little... That's not enough. That's not not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to smear shame on Peter. He came to bring healing and restoration to Peter. If you're a Christian today, young or old, new Christian, or you've been a Christian for your whole life, God has done a work on you. And I know some things about every single one of us. You've had to face your sin God has exposed it. You've come to see that that you are a failure. And God has exposed the ways that you have failed. The ways that you lack. When he does, it hurts. Even being sanctified hurts. We don't like our sin being exposed. But that's the way we heal. Fully and completely. Godly sorrow. Leading to repentance and life. It's like Jesus is asking Peter three times, Peter, do you know that you failed me? Yes, Lord. I know that I failed you. Peter, do you know that you failed me? Yes. Yes, I failed. Peter, do you know that you failed me? Grief. Yes. Yes, I failed. Three times he asks Peter about his love and punctuating the the failure, the denials of Peter's deepest failure. And all three times he he responds with leadership, commands. All three times Peter affirms and the Lord gives him a job. Feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed the sheep. All three times Peter affirmed his love, Jesus laid on him the responsibility of a leader in his church. He's restoring him. He's renewing him. Peter, did you fail me? Yes. Watch over my lambs. Peter, did you fail me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, did you. Did you fail me? Yes. Shepherd my flock, Peter. Failure is turned on its head as we repent and come to Jesus. Peter was coming to know more and more about his own heart, but also more and more about the incredible grace of God in Christ, which John has been beating that drum for the entire gospel. God so loved the world that he deployed his son into it to save sinners like Peter, and like us. He's coming to know what grace and restoration looks like, and this is going to transform Peter utterly. He's going to be one of the founding pastors of the church in Jerusalem. We know that he will also do mission work as far away as the region of Galatia. Here's the lesson for us. Repentance is not easy. It's like setting a bone. It takes enough force to counteract the force that broke it. But we're called to do it. It's transformative. This is where Christ meets us and reshapes us into his own image. True love for Christ begins here with faith and repentance. I think repentance shows weakness. Yet in the kingdom of God, it's what's used in lives to effectively restore and send out on mission. Peter was not ready to be a pastor until Jesus broke his heart. And before we move on, let's think about sheep for a minute. Feed my sheep. In our everyday lives, we don't encounter sheep But generally, if you've ever been around them, you know they're smelly, not very bright. They're not known as the the bright light intellects of livestock. They need shepherds for everything. So who are the sheep in Jesus' command? Me and you. We are the sheep. We are the ones that need tending. But notice also that he starts first with lambs. The little ones. Kids. Listen, this is Peter. This is is one of the three. This is one of the great apostles of the church. Tend my lambs. The little ones. Say you don't like kids. Kids. What do you think you look like before the God of the universe, who spoke all things into existence by the word of His power? What do you think you look like to Him? Notice the children all around. Hear the noises and revel in it. Tend my lambs. Know the joy of serving them. No one is too good to work nursery. You're not too good for that. Help teach a Sunday school class. Talk to a kid after the service. Tend the lambs, adults. Tend the lambs. Notice where Jesus takes Peter after fully restoring him in verse 18 and 19. Okay, he's restored. Now everything's going to be great. Right? Three-time reversal of the denial. Do you love me? He, three times Peter was able to affirm his love and reverse this denial over here. So everything's going to be great, right? Truly, truly, Jesus says. That's clue for, listen closely. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he's talking about his death. The very end of that he says to him follow me follow me Jesus is telling Peter where this profession of love and giving of leadership is going to take him it's not going to be pretty a life of repentance and faith and following Christ he's telling his apostle this is going to lead to your death Not only that, but an utter loss of freedom. You used to dress yourself. You used to go wherever you wanted to go. You you had all these freedoms, and they're slowly going to be taken away from you. You're not going to wear what you want to wear, and you're not going to be going wherever you want to go. In fact, you're going to be led to a cross where they're going to stretch your hands out and nail them down. Stretching out your hands is a euphemism crucifixion verse 19 makes it more plain this was the death he was going to die so in light of all of that what does Jesus say how, how in the world David and I were talking this week and we both agreed we would rather not hear this why did you have to tell me this I don't want to know that just let it happen but I think the force of what Jesus is doing with Peter is right there at the end He is saying, follow me. The rest of it doesn't matter. You follow the good shepherd. How in the world is he supposed to go and shepherd others? It's only by following Christ. It's only by his being near Jesus. It's by his remembering that the Son of God lived perfectly and died for him. And death did not hold him. Christ is risen. He's going to spend his life with his arms wide open, willing to love and serve others, willing to speak truth to others, willing to be as lowly as can be. Our world is trying to convince us more and more that live for yourself. You can tell yourself you can be whatever you want to be, and Jesus is telling his follower, no. No, that is not life. Your truest life is actually in proximity to me. Peter, you follow me. You're going to die. You follow me. Following the Good Shepherd in this life means so many good things. And that's why I wanted to read Psalm 23. We heard it earlier. Following Christ. Listen to all these things. a, A lack of want. It doesn't mean... You're always going to have food to eat. Jesus will be your food. With, in proximity to our Good Shepherd, following Him, we will have green pasture, still water, restored souls, paths of righteousness in God's name. It does not mean we will not go through valleys. My word, ask the families of those who died this week, we will go through valleys. Even in the valley of death itself, it it means that we are not alone when we are following Christ. We don't go through that valley alone. He is present. His rod and his staff are there. A table before enemies. Goodness and mercy are with us as we follow Christ. Following Christ, child of God, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Peter, you're going to die this terrible death. He's got to be shaken in his boots at this point. Peter, you follow me. So that's the first end that John, loose end that John wants to tie up Peter. What happened to him after he denied the Lord? We're told loose end two. What what happens next? So Jesus had just told Peter how he's going to die. And he goes on. Peter turned and saw the disciples. This is one of the more humorous uh, parts of God's word. The disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also would lean back against him during supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? That's just great. So I'm gonna die this terrible death. What about John? Misery loves company. I think it's hilarious. What about this man? He's so human. He's very much like us. Yeah, following you, Lord, is going to be costly. But is John going to die a terrible death too? Then I'll feel a little bit better. Look at the response of Jesus. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, it's none your None your business, Peter. What is that to you? Even if John stays alive until I come back, at the end, you follow me." You hear the lesson? What what an incredible lesson for all of us, something that I think if we learn we we will be much more effective in mission and, and doing ministry, loving our neighbors, loving one another, building one another up in the church, and it's this, stop focusing on the other person. Stop focusing on what they're doing over there. Stop paying attention so closely to someone else's gift and use yours, deploy your gift. John is saying, or Jesus is saying to Peter, stop worrying about John. It doesn't matter. That's between me and him. It's yours to follow me. They have very different ministries in the life of the church. I think sometimes we get focused, so focused on the gift that we don't have, that we get stuck. We want to do what somebody else can do in the body of Christ, but we're not given that to do. Stop focusing on what somebody else can do or can't do. What has the Lord given you to do? Peter, it's none of your business what I'm doing with John. You follow me. This is a lesson for Peter and John so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this this disciple was not to die yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die but if it is my will that you remain until I come what is that to you here's the other loose end rumors had started Peter was getting old and they're like oh yeah Jesus said that he would live until the second coming no that's not what Jesus said and John is making it abundantly clear that's not what he said he was simply telling Peter it's none of your business how long John lives John and Peter are learning this lesson and we should as well the focus of our life and our death is not us The focus of our life and even in our death is Christ himself, nearness to him, remembering his gospel. As we will affirm soon, Christ is our only comfort in life and in death. This leads to our final loose end, loose end three, not enough room. Verse 24, the disciple, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things. And it was written these things and we know that his testimony is true. John is returning again to a theme that he develops throughout the entire book but also especially in the prologue, the theme of witness and testimony. The theme of witness is used six times in the opening chapter of John and 28 times through the book. Again and again and again John is beating the drum of witness. We have seen it. We touched him. We know that his testimony is true. Testimony is another word used with a high frequency 14 times in John's gospel. Why did John write this gospel? To be a witness to us. To share the gospel with us. To give us a true testimony. He's giving us the events of the life of Jesus. Of his sacrificial death, the book of glory. He's telling us about his resurrection. He really is raised. You can see his scars. We have touched his scars. So we come to the end of John. What what are we going to do with this witness? What are we going to do with John's testimony? What are we going to do with the truth? John has already told us time and time and time again, believe. You're like, yeah, but I did that a long time. I did that when I was eight years old. Child of God, today, believe the gospel. Listen to the testimony. Hear the witness and believe. Listen, the gospel isn't just a one time thing, the gospel is to be believed every single day by the people of God. This is the water we swim in. Believe. Now we come to the loose end. Why didn't John give us any more? Early on, when we first started this way back when, I don't even remember, I I encourage you, read it all the way through. And if you're patient and you read John all the way through, you come to the end and you're like, I don't want it to end. It's like those real good books that you've read. Have you ever read a book so good that when it's over, you didn't want it to end? And maybe you set it down and a couple of days later, you're like, I'm going to read that again. That's exactly what John is getting at because I'm sure he had people around him when he wrote this gospel saying, why did you stop there? I could just keep on reading forever. I just want to read more and more and more about Jesus. I want to know everything he's done. Every detail. So John concludes like this. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. For every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But the very beginning of his Gospel, John makes it about Jesus as big as it can possibly get. Look, he he encompasses the whole world. He is the creator of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here at the end of his Gospel, he's going, To back out as far as he possibly can and say, look, if everything about Jesus were to be written down, it couldn't couldn't fit. He starts with Jesus is as big as it possibly gets and here he's ending with he actually is that big. The world could not contain what could be written about him. That Jesus that John writes to us about is the Word incarnate. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen, we have beheld His glory. That's what John is about. Glory from the Father. Full of grace and truth. John has written these seven signs, seven I am statements, giving us the details of this glory because he wants us to believe. This glory of Christ that he has presented us with. I love what we sang earlier, It's, it's a deep ocean. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love, the best, tis an ocean. That's what John is saying. Right here at the end of his gospel, he's saying he's an ocean. Vast of blessing. He's a haven sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. And, and I love this line because it's not just any haven. It's not just a haven out there for somebody. It's my haven. It is a heaven of heavens to To me. That's what John wants for us. To know that Christ is this, this heavenly rest, but not just over there for someone else. The whole point of his gospel is to say, it's for me. And it lifts me, this deep ocean of the glory of God. It lifts me to glory, for it lifts me to thee. I think if John were here, he would say there's only one response. Believe it. Every word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gospel witness. For the true testimony that has brought us along through this work. Again, we pray that you would shape us and mold us more and more as your followers. Lord, even today would we learn these lessons with Peter and John about what it means to follow you, our good shepherd. We pray that you would do all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.